Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive. The show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Fringe. Today we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 17, titled White Tulip. Uh, A phenomenal, phenomenal episode uh, that is absolutely among the best of at least Season 2, if not the entire series. It's fantastic, and I love every single thing about it. So, the hook of this episode is that there are all of these deaths on a train. Uh, Some guy just appeared out of nowhere, walked off the train, a beggar went on the train, everyone was dead, Uh, all the lights are out, all the electronics are dead, and these people who died on this train, their mitochondria, upon further examination just seemed to have gone out like a light switch. Uh, they they were drained faster than what is usually seen among dead bodies. So it's like all the energy just drained out of the room, and there's this one guy who's just like the only the only thing that survived, the only thing that it remains, he just showed up and left without any explanation, and just, well, we don't know, we have no idea what's going on here. So we're investigating that, uh, meanwhile we have this amazing, amazing character arc with Walter, where he's writing a letter to Peter, uh, so that he can tell Peter that he's actually from the other side, Without actually having to say it to his face and stammer through everything. So he's writing this letter, writing this letter, writing this letter. And uh, he sort of has it the entire time, just waiting for the right moment. Uh, He says he's waiting for something, he's waiting for something, he's waiting for something, but he's not saying what. And he's just sort of continuing to be weird around Peter. Peter's starting to notice that Walter is... Like, avoiding him, and is upset about something, and it's just like, something's not right in Walterland. So, there is this sort of dark cloud forming over the bishops of what we know is coming imminently. What we know is coming very, very, very soon. Uh, But anyway, we're investigating this guy... We got him on surveillance footage, we tracked him to a cafe, uh, we go there, question a waitress, uh, she gives a credit card receipt, it's signed Alistair Peck, so we know who that guy is, we raid his home, we find all these equations, uh, this very complex mathematical formulas, we find out he's a professor of astrophysics at MIT, And then this dude shows up. And he's got this, like, weird, like, Faraday mesh 
all around his body, forming what Walter calls a temporal pocket. Uh, and he's talking about how, like, the people on the train aren't dead. Or at least, uh, not permanently. Although others soon will be. And then, he just sort of goes nuts. He has this, like, weird energy forming around him. And then, suddenly, he's back on the train! In the exact moment that he showed up before, he gets off the train, he turns to the beggar and is like, I'm sorry you have to go through this again. And then walks away and everything kicks off a second time. We got time travel. This is a time travel episode. And it's not just time travel. It's like a man-made time loop. We've got like a kind of Groundhog Day situation going on. And by the way, it really speaks to how good the writing of Fringe is. That we have to see many of the same scenes a second time. And it's somehow not boring. (laughs) Like, it somehow isn't the most boring thing on the planet to watch. Like, somehow it's every bit as engaging the second time through as it is the first time. And they have just enough deviations uh, for it to remain interesting uh, Alistair leaves a fingerprint on the railing, which he didn't the first time around, so they identify him a lot quicker. Uh, and from there on, the investigation, like, really, really diverges. Uh, we spend more time at his house than we did before, because he doesn't go back there this time, and so we see more... More of the nitty-gritty. We see pictures of who we eventually find out is his fiance, Who died in a car crash months and months and months ago. Uh, ten months to be exact. Uh, we talked to his former boss at IM- IMT. Uh, uh, what? <laughs> MIT. <laughs> I can't say the letters M, I, and T In sequence, apparently. This is how dumb I am. (laughs) Uh, But we find out that he left MIT a while ago and was very much obsessed with time travel. Like, that was his area, uh, area of expertise. He was obsessed with cracking it. He was obsessed with cracking the code. He left, like, three volumes of papers to be published. That have just been sitting in this woman's, like, filing cabinet. Walter reads through all of them and immediately, like, sort of gets the gist of time travel. But even he admits, like, I mean, yeah, uh, given given 20 years and a team of geniuses, maybe I'll understand it fully. (laughs) Like, even Walter is kind of... Weirded out by this, and it becomes very, very clear that this guy is time-traveling to try and save his wife. This guy is breaking the laws of nature, breaking the laws of the universe, to try and go back in time and save his wife, uh, or fiancé, rather, from this car accident that she suffered. No matter the cost. 
Does this sound familiar? Does this have any hint of similarity to anyone else's arc, Walter, Walter, Walter? Uh, like, there is this really fantastic parallel that they draw in this episode. And apparently, the further back you jump, the more energy has to be taken. In order to... In order to make it successful. So 12 hour jump... Kills everyone on that train. A 10 month jump, depending on where he landed, could be... Fully catastrophic. Could be just... Awful. Could have so much collateral damage. But we eventually find his lab at MIT. Uh, That he's still going to. That he's still using. uh, His fiance's cell phone is still active. And it's getting pinged a lot in that area. And we go there and have this big confrontation in which Walter demands, like, hey, hey, let me go up there. Let me go up there. Let me talk to him. I I speak his language. I know what he's going through. I can maybe talk him out of this. And Olivia and Broyles, like, let him go up there. And we have this amazing discussion. By the way, Peter Weller is the name of the guy playing Alistair Peck. He is incredible. He is fantastic in this role. And he and John Noble... This big sequence with them together is fantastic. It's absolutely freaking brilliant. And Walter's like, hey, listen. I know what you're going to do. I know what you want to do. I get it. You will not be prepared to deal with the consequences. And Alistair Peck's like, oh, well, I'll, I'll show up in this field. I'll show up in this field and... Everything will be good, and everything will be fine, and it'll be all okay. Uh, I'll just absorb energy from plant life. And Walter's like, okay, but even then, like, if you pull your fiancé out of that car, you don't know what changes are going to happen. You don't know what the consequences are going to be. You will not be able to live with yourself. And he flat out cuts his radio his link back to the FBI raid team. And it's like, okay, listen. I did the same thing, the same type of thing that you did and succeeded. I went, I crossed over into another universe and took a son that wasn't mine. And every single thing that's happened to me since then has been... Like, some form of cruel punishment has only reminded me of this horrible thing that I did. I have not been able to spend a single moment not thinking about the consequences of it. I cannot look at my son without knowing what I did. This is... This is something no one should do. No one should break the laws of the universe to... Get a loved one back. It's just not worth it. 
listen, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. I'm going to tell you the error you made. So that you can probably do this. Because I'm guessing since you keep going back to the train, you can't really go back further than that. But I'm also telling you that you can't do it. Don't do it. You will not be able to live with the consequences. And Walter even talks about how he didn't believe in God until he got Peter from the other universe. And was like, I think everything that happened to me since then was punishment. And now, uh, in the days leading up to me telling my son about this, I'm waiting for a sign from God for forgiveness. A white tulip. If God can forgive me, then maybe so can Peter. And Alistair is like, yeah, well, God is science. So, science is the only faith we need. And Walter, in the midst of, like, begging him, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, uh, FBI raid team comes in. Alistair jumps back again. This time, not quite to the train. Um, just, like, short amount of time, maybe an hour or two before. To finish the calculations before raid team shows up. And then, once he does, does the thing and travels all the way back to ten months in the past. And runs all the way to his fiance's car. By the way, I should mention, uh, there's this great moment where... Alistair talks about an argument that they had before the day of the crash. And it's like, uh, she wanted me to do something with her. And I said, no. And I just went out in a field and thought about time travel. And if I had just gone with her, then that wouldn't have happened. Then she'd be alive. Uh, And he's going back to rectify this. He goes into the car with her as he should have that day. And what happens next is really remarkable. He doesn't take her out of the car. He just sits with her. And then the crash happens. And he dies by her side. So he doesn't do what Walter asked him to. But he doesn't not do it. In this weird way... He sort of, he sort of assuaded his own conscience without breaking time, in a certain extent. Like, he assuaded his own conscience, that's all, folks. He righted what he thought was a wrong he did without doing the unforgivable take someone out of the time stream and completely alter everything and look at this person with complete guilt over what he did thing. He avoided that entirely. So he, in some strange way, even though his wife still dies, 
He's at peace. Because he died alongside her. It just, as macabre as it is, it's such a poetic and beautiful end to this guy's story. And then we get our ending. So, this guy, before he traveled back, wrote a letter. Gave it to, or rather addressed it to uh, his MIT boss. What I think, by the way, happened because... People like to say, wait a minute, how did he send the thing and not, uh, and not, uh, stop at all? Like, just, what, 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 how does that work timeline-wise? What the hell? Um, I think this can very easily be explained by they found it addressed to the MIT boss on his body. And just after evidence and all that, gave it to her. I think that was his intention, and I think that's what happened. So that's a very easily explained plot hole. That's a plot hole that's very easily filled uh, by just uh, logical explanation. But she waits till this very specific day to send it to Walter Bishop. She sends it to him. As Walter is finishing his letter to Peter, this time uninterrupted by any form of investigation. And what's really curious about this is, apparently uninterrupted by investigation, Walter actually has time to think about his letter. And he burns it. He burns the letter. And just decides not to go that route. And then, after Peter comes in and they have the conversation about, like, hey, I fixed your turntable, da-da-da-da-da. Mail comes. He finds the letter from Alistair. And inside is a drawing of a white tulip. His sign from God has come. Walter, in his mind, has been forgiven. And I only just now realized that that letter came because of time travel, which was achieved through science. Alistair Peck's science proving Alistair Peck right that science is God. I just realized that. How did I not think of that before? Oh my god, I have a new layer to an already perfect episode. Like, Jesus Christ, this episode is so amazing. It's so great. It's so compelling. I love the parallels between Walter Bishop and Alistair Peck. I love how they explore that. Uh, That sequence where they're together and talking about this is perfect. Uh, They handle the time travel very, very well. They handle the time loop aspects very, very well. And it's just, it's great. It's it's an incredible, incredible episode. It is a highlight of Fringe, certainly of season two, uh, if not, again, the entire series. It's just, it's amazing. It's an incredible, incredible episode. Anyway, uh, yeah, we only got, like, what, five episodes left in this season? Oh boy, uh, get ready. These last five episodes, there's something, man. There's certainly 
certainly something. Uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just to push a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468. And support the show, Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark, pledges a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. I'm actually going to be doing October's episode later today. I'm going to be posting that in just a few hours, probably. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the autobiography of Malcolm X, co-written by Alex Haley, who listeners of this show probably know as the creator of Roots, which we've discussed here previously. Yep. Me, a white man in 2020, is going to be discussing the words of Malcolm X on the internet. Sure, that'll go great. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure that won't be in any way uncomfortable. I'm sure there will be no awkwardness at all. (laughs) So if you want to listen to that, see how that goes. See what kind of bear traps I accidentally step, step into Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark pledges a dollar a month. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Tomorrow we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 18. Talk to you then.